beautifully done. And the words, uh, words matter, folks. Well, take your Bibles. We're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, in just a moment. I had a little bit more, if you will, of a, I'll say a more of a bombastic type message for this morning, but uh, based on the circumstances and my heart, uh, it won't be quite as, uh, if you will, bombastic as I had planned. In other words, uh, we'll have some energy, and we want some energy because uh, we do want to begin to set the stage, if you will, for 2022. Uh, we've gone through 2021 with the difficulties of it, and uh, I just want to take a few moments to rehearse a couple of things that have happened over the past year and a half, actually. In uh, April of uh, 2020, Valerie and I were uh, brought into Unigrove Baptist Church as the pastor, if you will, and uh, my dear wife, of course, uh, has uh, sunk her life into this church in the last year and a half, as uh, I believe I have, and... Uh, when we came here, um, probably a few less people than we have today in a crowd, which is uh, uh, quite thin based on our snow today, but we begin to see things happen, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, uh, the pews started to fill up, the overflow started to fill up, and uh, we saw God do some wonderful things. We saw ministries uh, that were already stable here, uh, all of a sudden, they were just expanding, and uh, we got a little bit tight, and I trust that we'll continue to be a little bit tight and even tighter as we come into 2022. But it's ironic this morning that uh, this opening that I'm going to give in just a, a minute is something I had planned well before this week. There's a, an individual, one of the most godly men that I've met, Someone that, if you will, doesn't maybe stand out in a crowd, but just a humble, loving, sincere guy. And he came up to me one Sunday, not that, not that long ago, maybe six months, seven months ago, and he said, Pastor, he said, I think we're having a revival here. And I was like, well, my friend, I said, I don't, I don't know if we're to that stage yet, but... Uh, there's definitely some signs that we might be heading in that direction. I've watched that individual, who I'll name in a moment, his body is pretty torn up from an accident he had some years ago on the farm. And I would watch him as when we'd have a, a serious time of prayer, and I saw it multiple times, including this week. He would get down on his knees <laughs> and beg God to do something. And I said, there's a guy who knows God, Ed Gilmore. Folks, this had nothing to do with what happened this week. But I watched Ed, and as every Sunday, ever since, he's, he's always an encouragement, and the word revival has come out of his word out of his mouth multiple times and quite frankly this entire year that's coming up is because of Ed Gilmore and that's for real. 
I'm challenged and I want to challenge you that in 2022 that we want to reach for revival. We'll discuss what that means this morning and next week and then we'll go back into Revelation in two weeks. And by the way, Revelation, we can keep on the revival theme and we shall <laughs> all, throughout the, all throughout the week. Folks, it's imperative that we understand who God is. It's imperative that when you have weeks like this week when many of us, our hearts have been broke, the tears have been flowing, and some folks have said, lashed out, if you will, and, and been upset with, well, well, God, uh, where are you when I need you? Well, folks, he's there. And through the tough times and the hard times, it's essential that we know who God is and that we have a relationship with him. And I'm not just talking about salvation right now. Let me give a, maybe a little illustration of how that would play out. Think about your mom and dad right now, whether they're here or whether they've gone on. Think about mom and dad for a minute. Let's assume you're 40, 50 years old. You left home when you were 18, 21, and maybe a phone call a year, maybe a visit a year. And you basically had no relationship with them after you left their home. Were you still their child? Of course you were. Were you still part of their family? Of course you were. And all of a sudden, uh, you were off on your own. You have your family. You basically left your family alone, didn't want anything to do with them. And then a crisis hits in your life. All of a sudden, you're sick. Your wife might be sick, your husband might be sick, your children might be sick. You lose your job. Everything that you would work for for 20, 30 years is gone. There's no money left in the bank account. You're sick, you're not feeling well, your life is falling apart around you, it's a disaster. You need money, you need a place to sleep, you're losing your home, where am I going to go? and you've come to the end of your rope, there's nothing left to do. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who am I going to seek out? All of a sudden it dawns on you, man, I haven't talked to my dad in 20-plus years. I haven't spent any time with him. But I'm desperate. I'm so desperate right now. I don't know what else to do. I guess I'm just going to have to humble myself go see my dad and see if he can help me out. You show up your dad's doorstep. He looks at you in a little bit of amazement as to why you're there because you basically have cut him out of your life. It's like, Dad, I'm, I'm messed up. My life's a wreck. It's, it's ruined. We're basically homeless. I got my car and barely have that right now. I don't even have enough money to put gas in it. Dad, I need your help. Son, where have you been? Where have you been? I've been around. Dad, please, I, I, I need your help. 
What's dad going to do? Well, it all depends, doesn't it? You see, that's exactly how we treat God sometimes. Well, life is good. I got a job, got a car. Church is optional. Loving God is optional. Spending time in prayer is optional. Reading my Bible is optional. Helping other people is optional. Being unkind to people is mandatory. Having my way or no way or the highway, that's the way I'm going to live my life. And all of a sudden, it hits. And you're in crisis. Your world's coming to an end. And it's like, oh, wow. I remember back when I was a teenager or maybe in a one or maybe in Sunday school or maybe in a church service and I remember when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I thought I'd given my life to him like was sung this morning. I thought I was being sacrificial and loving to God. And I guess I walked away on you, God, didn't I? And I've lived my life for me and I've done everything for me and you're just kind of there. I know bad in the back of my mind if I need you, I'll probably call out to you, well, Lord, it's, I'm there. I'm at my wit's end, don't know where to go. My spiritual life is a disaster. My family home is a disaster. I'm just suffering through it. God, I need you now. Wouldn't it be so much better if you'd spent the last 30 years or 20 years or 10 years or however old you are? Wouldn't it be so much better if you spent your life building that relationship with your Heavenly Father? And all of a sudden, it's like, boy, you know, in time of need, it's not lashing out at God. It's not uh, a forsaking God. It's not uh, shaking your fist at God. It's, it's not falling on your face all of a sudden for the first time and, and begging God for something because you've been uh, walking with God and living with God. Folks, this is reality. This is the Christian life. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not optional for God's people, but we make it optional. As I look around the auditorium, I see a lot of people with your heads down and thinking, and that's good because, folks, I have to think too. My head is down so many times, and it's like when we come to a crisis situation, when uh, one of our children is uh, uh, basically all but... uh, and I'll be just blunt as can be, all but dead. And all of a sudden, it's day and night, night and day. Oh, God, would you please bless them? I'll get to the scriptures in a moment, but you say, Brother Rich, were you there? Yes, I was there. When Trevor, my son, before he was born, doctor said there's no hope for him, none at all. This was early on in Valerie's pregnancy. I will tell you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if I, my mind wasn't centered on something at work or with family, I'm serious. It was day and night, night and day, praying, praying, praying that God would save the little boy before he was born and whatever saved meaning his life and make him born healthy. No hope by the doctors, but yet he was born healthy. <laughs> Everything works. Smart. Lovely young man. Folks, we want to reach for revival. 
we running? Okay, there we go. One of the most famous verses when it comes to revival, and we'll be in John in just a moment, but when we think about it, and we talked about this on a few Wednesday nights, I think I mentioned this once or twice on Sunday morning, but as we prepare our hearts to reach for revival, we go back to an Old Testament concept that was put out Basically, after the temple had been built, they're in a victorious state. Israel is doing fine, and God says, listen, there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to mess up. There's going to be a time when I'm going to chastise you because you refuse to follow me. And God puts out what I think is one of the wonderful revival passages in the scriptures. Contextually, it referred directly to Israel if they were to backslide during the Old Testament. But as we look at this from a New Testament perspective, I think the principles still stand. And God says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. In other words, when I determine, people, that you've not served me, that you're not walking in my ways, that you're forsaking my commandments, I'm going to send you some serious troubles. Verse 14, here's the remedy. And God said, if my people, not the pagan people, not the folks that could care less about me, if my people, my people, God's people, if my people who are called by my name will, number one, will they humble themselves? That song was perfect this morning. A living sacrifice. Will you humble yourself and pray? When do you pray? When do you pray? When do you pray? When do you pray? Pray without ceasing, God said. Every moment of every single day, driving in the car, walking down the road, in the home, outside the home, at work, every single thing you do, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not only during the times of crisis, but every single moment of every single day, walking with God. When young people come home, what's the first thing they do? Well, they usually run to mom or to dad or whoever's in their home. They want to say hi. They want to have a fellowship with them and have a good relationship and tell them what happened during the day. Same thing the rest of us do. And God is saying, if you want my blessings, if you want me to heal the sickness, if you will, that spiritually you have, spiritually you have. Did you catch that? spiritual sickness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, wait a minute, then, if, then. In other words, if you do this, then I will do that. If you don't do this, then doesn't happen. See the correlation? If, then, always a wonderful principle in scripture. If my people do four things, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and do what? Turn from your wicked ways. We don't talk much about what are wicked ways. See, in the old-fashioned, we're going to talk a little bit about that historically, the old-fashioned fundamental churches spent their entire time beating you up about sin. We're a little more judicious in how we approach it, but on the other hand, we cannot forsake the fact that when we're in sin and doing wrong, that God calls us to get out of sin and do right. It's a mandate. 
Sunday night next week I'll be preaching on, I'm going to start a four-week uh, series on Know What You Believe and Why. The first uh, message is going to be What is a Fundamentalist and Am I One? <laughs> Some of you will be shocked by what I say. The second message will be What is a Baptist and Am I One? Some of you will be shocked by what I say. What is a Christian? Message three, and am I one? Final one, what is the body of Christ, and am I a member of it? So uh, if you can be on Sunday nights, be here. If not, watching on the Internet. We're, we're going to shake the place up a little bit. Folks, we need shaking up. We do. And uh, you say, do you love Union Grove Baptist Church? I do with all my heart. Do you love the people here with all my heart? Do you think we're doing, uh, going in the right direction with all my heart? I think we are. We're going to keep going that way in 2022, and we're going to keep expanding and doing what God's asked us to do. Next, what we're looking at this morning is uh, what type of things have happened. I'm constantly told, I'm constantly hearing on the radio and Christian outlets that revivals can no longer happen. And I say I totally respectfully disagree. A history very, very quick, and I could spend hours on this going through the revivals that have happened since in, in uh, America in the 1700s and uh, Europe and so forth. Many of you know the name Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield back in the 1700s when revival came out. Charles Finney uh, uh, came out in the 1800s, preached around the country, tremendous revivals, and hundreds, thousands of people would come and receive Christ as their Savior. The Businessman Revival of 1857 and 58, when Jeremiah Lampfler uh, uh, started these prayer meetings all around the country, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were touched and uh, began to go back to church and to serve God. There's a revival during the Civil War when many of the soldiers were actually converted during that time. Hundreds of thousands of uh, soldiers all of a sudden uh, miraculously God touched their hearts and a great revival took place during wartime. Many of you know about uh, D.L. Moody and the tremendous worldwide and specifically in uh, uh, the Illinois area, Chicago and other places where D.L. Moody preached fantastic, beautiful, wonderful revivals. I went to Moody Bible Institute. It's a huge auditorium that was packed and jammed full when D.L. Moody preached. The American Welsh Revival, uh, Billy Sunday, many of you know uh, Pacific Garden Mission, Billy Sunday in the late 1800s, early 1900s, preached to over 100 million people. See if you can draw that kind of a crowd today. 100 million people came to see uh, Billy Sunday. It's reported that uh, 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 some 1 million people, 1 million people were saved uh, in the early 1900s during the 300 revivals that he preached. Next, uh, the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, William Seymour. Uh, now, I don't necessarily agree with all the doctrine that took place there, uh, but there's a tremendous movement, hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ. The post-World War II awakening, many of you know of the Bill Bright Campus Crusade, Billy Graham and so forth. 
thousands and thousands, stadiums filled with people, God doing a massive movement, many folks coming to Christ, uh, including my wife being one of them who uh, uh, had encounters with uh, the Billy Graham Association and came to Christ right before that, and they helped disciple her. Thousands and thousands of people that came to Christ during those times. 1968, 1962, or 1972, maybe a little bit further than that, but this is the documented time period of what was known as the Jesus Movement. It's when I got saved. Tens of thousands of teenagers and young uh, people across the country came to Christ during that time. Massive movement. Now, again, most of these movements started out in the Pentecostal charismatic uh, uh, churches, uh, uh, groups, uh, Bible studies. I don't endorse, uh, 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 if you will, some of the doctrine, but again, the gospel went out and people were saved by the tens of thousands, and I'm one that was saved during that time. In the mid-1990s, an individual, if you might have seen, uh, he's got a study Bible out. Henry Blackaby was another great revival preacher where thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. Promise Keepers, many of you are aware of other different organizations that blossomed around the country where hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ. Well, as we move forward, what are the keys to revival. Well, we talked a little bit about this uh, in, the, in the previous weeks. Prayer by God's people. We just talked, we just gave a little bit of an illustration about are we walking with God, are we praying? Folks, if you don't know God, if you're not walking with God, if you're not praying, if you don't have a daily walk with him in prayer, and I'm not talking about three minutes uh, during the day, uh, 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 dear God, bless the food. Uh, help us do right today. Amen. By uh, uh, lunchtime, hey, God, bless the food. Uh, thanks for whatever. Uh, goodbye. Uh, dinner time, hey, God, thanks for the food. Here we go. Uh, help us to have a fun time tonight. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. No, I'm not talking about uh, cursory prayers. I'm not talking about uh, a learned prayer, uh, a little, re if you will, uh, things that we recite at dinner time and so forth. I'm talking about a deep, serious relationship with Jesus God, Jesus Christ in prayer, knowing him, spending time with him. A major movement is needed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can change our lives, folks. And the Bible says, Ephesians uh, 5.18, don't quench the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed. In other words, we can quench the Spirit. We need his power. We need his help. We need his daily be with the power of the Holy Spirit. Consecration of the body of Christ, conviction of sin, and conversions to Jesus Christ, all part of the steps, if you will, of revival. Next well, when we start, we look at what type of person do you gravitate towards? And these questions are on purpose. Think about them for a moment. What type of person do you like to, do you like to be around? How do you personally like to be treated? What type of person do you immediately find offensive? You thinking? What does this have to do with revival? And I believe the scripture says everything. This morning, Jesus mandated a new commandment that is a direct sign of revival when followed by God's people. Take your Bibles, go to John chapter 13 
in verse 31, John 13, verse 31. And we'll quickly read through this. John 13, 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. Notice the pronouns, personal pronouns, all speaking of Christ, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you, what? Love one another as I have what? There's the example. Why in the world after all these years, the Shema back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, thousands of years before, in 1440, several thousand, about 1,600 years before, thousands of years for us, 1,600 years before Christ wrote this, Deuteronomy was written, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God said, love, 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 basically love God with all your strength, heart, mind, and soul. And now Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you a new commandment. It's not really a new commandment. I, I want to explain this very quickly so it makes sense. You know why it is new to us? Because never in the history of the Bible had people understood what they could now understand. You say, what do you mean? Here it is. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as what? I have loved you. No one had ever been able to love like Jesus. The new example, if you will, is standing in front of them. He is the ultimate example, and therefore Christ uses this term, a new commandment I give to you. Don't be beating up your friends. Don't be backbiting folks. Don't be uh, uh, harsh on people. Don't be telling them what their problems are. How about loving folks? Do you know, what the, and, and I've talked about this so many times over the last year. There's so many people that think they have the gift of, of uh, having a critical spirit. I'll tell you what time of day it is. Let me give you a piece of my mind. You know what you should be doing? God says, hush. I don't want to hear it. God don't want to hear it. Hush. And God says, you want revival? Here's what you should do. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Why does God put this in the scriptures? Because it's the hardest thing on earth for God's people to do. Why? Because we're all born what? Sinners. And it's hard to shake this one. The whole book of James. First thing I did when I came into Union Grove Baptist Church is I preached through the book of James. What's it talk about? Loving others. Watch your mouth. Folks, we kill people with our mouths. We slit their throats. We cut their backs. We backstab them. We constantly tear folks apart when we're not walking with God. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to find fault in others. And what does God say? Hush. Shh. What did Mama teach me? If you don't have something good to say about somebody, don't what? Don't say anything, and boy, that's good advice. By the way, that's Bible advice. Verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, in these last few moments, as we quickly go through this passage, I pray that you'd start the revival process in our hearts 
those of us that are here this morning, those watching on the internet, those that will be watching this week. Father, would you do what only you can do? Revive the saved. Please, Lord, revive us, revive us, revive us as only you can do. And we look forward to the wonderful results that you will bring in Jesus' name. Amen. Next. Uh, number one, Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure. He's minutes away from being arrested and being taken through the trials that he would face before he's crucified. And Jesus comes to his own disciples who had walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, and says, little children, I shall be with you. Basically what he's saying, I'm just about ready to go. I'm only going to be with you a short time. Next, he said, uh, uh, you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, what was Jesus saying? He's like, my minutes away from leaving. They didn't understand this. In other passages, it makes it very clear. The disciples, they didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand that he was going to be taken in a few moments. They didn't understand that he literally was going to be crucified. They didn't understand that he would spend three days in the tomb and then he would rise from the dead. They honestly didn't get it until after the resurrection. Well, what was Jesus talking about? Acts chapter 1, next verse 9. Now, when he, Jesus, had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus is making it clear. They're visually seeing their master, their savior, going up to heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, basically angels, stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Next, he says, A, a, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give give to you. And here is that commandment. It is not a suggestion. It is a dominant imperative, if you will, from the Greek language. And what does it say? Love one another. You say, well, Brother Rich, we've been talking about uh, Unigrove Baptist Church is a church that God's love is building. Do you believe that? I certainly do. I certainly do. And I've seen tons of things that people do for one another. I've seen the love that you show to one another. I've seen the visitors that come in. And as we uh, uh, fondly say, we love to mug them, uh, give them a coffee mug, a little candy, and folks come around them and, and invite them into the fold, and they show love. And uh, uh, But uh, how do we respond after we get out of the auditorium is the question. Next, Colossians chapter 3. Here is the essence of revival. Therefore, as the elect of God, Christian, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. I should sit down right now, forgive one another. You see, the hardest thing is when you've been hurt, when somebody's done you wrong, is to forgive that person. Folks, forgiveness is revival. Forgiveness is revival personified. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone, Christian, brethren, has a complaint against another, well, time to get even. Time to make them pay. Ah. You know I'm being facetious. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also what? 
must do. Another Greek imperative. It's a command. You don't have an option. You say, I, I, can't, I can't let go. And God says, you will get let go or you're not right with me. You say, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. Well, you know what? I've watched people when they literally hate someone, bitter against them, see something that they've done, and they, man, it just, ugh. they hold it in. They won't let go. I've, and I've gone through this so many times this past year. You know who's hurting? The person that's holding the bitterness, the person that's angry, the person that's mad. You're the one suffering, not them. They could care less. <laughs> They're doing just fine, and you're sitting there smoking uh, your brain, and your brain is on fire, and you're, uh, you're sick, and your blood pressure goes up, and you're feeling lousy, and you can't sleep, and you're irritable, and it's hurting you. And God said, just let go. Let it go. I preached a whole message, I don't know when, on let it, just let it go. And that's what God wants, let it go. But you know, they, 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 let it go. Next. There it is. There it is. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You want to have a good 2022? Let it go. <laughs> you want to have a good 2022? Put your arm around somebody who's hurting today. You want to have a good 2022? Stop criticizing others and compliment them. One of the things back when I was in Bible school, we had a book called Let's Go Soul Winning. And uh, again, that's a little old school, but you know what the first thing in that book was? When you go up to somebody's house or when you visit them or when you, when you meet somebody, maybe it's for the first time and you want to share the gospel with them, here's the first thing you should do. Compliment them about something. And it's like, well, what if they, there's nothing to compliment about them? It's like, find something. It's serious. It's like, well, uh, uh, and we used to, I mean, door-to-door visitation was a, was a common thing before COVID hit and kind of slowed us down a bit. But uh, first thing I do when I come up to a, a home uh, and knock on the door and somebody come and I say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm blah, blah, blah from wherever. And, uh, man, I just, uh, I just noticed, boy, your bushes are so pretty out there. It's very nice. Oh, well, yeah, I spent a lot of time gardening. Thanks for noticing. Oh, what a beautiful paint job on your house. You say, well, why do you do it? Because I'm sincere. But you know what? People like to hear nice things. Do you believe that? Do you, do you like to hear nice things? You think, okay. You, th- you think when somebody comes up to me and they say, hey, Brother Rich, you know, uh, oh, you're not looking too good today. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> I'm like, boy, that, that, really, uh, that really encouraged me. Uh, it's true, maybe, but now, nah, folks, we like to hear positive, wonderful things. And, and God says, listen, if, if, if you got a, a grudge against somebody, if somebody did you wrong, and even if it was horrible, God says, just let it go. Jesus said, I went to the cross because I loved you. Do you know that Jesus loves you? I think you do. I know I think everybody in the room this morning, and Jesus loves you, and I think you know that. 
And God says, as much as I loved you, do you remember that I forgave you of all your sins? Every single one, they're gone. I mean, he didn't just forgive them. He took them off our paper. Uh, here's me before I sinned, all messed up, all in living color, all full of sin. And he said, but here's how I see you now, Brother Rich. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. I'm, 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 uh, my sins have been washed as white as snow. Are your sins as white as snow, folks? Are they? Come on, are they white as snow? Absolutely. And God says, listen, that's how we need to see other folks. Not, well, you know, you got this, and you got this, and you got this, and you got this, and uh, I don't like this about you, and I don't like that about you, and God says, what about this? What, this is how I looked at you. <laughs> and I say, well, glory to God. Uh, I know I'm not perfect, but he looks at me as I'm perfect, and I got a place in heaven, and I need to live for him. And that's exactly what God calls us to. Next, please. That's what he's called us to. Just a few verses on love, and I'll quit. Folks, you're like, Brother Rich, just, you know, you were a cop for 30-some years. You were with the toughest of the tough. You worked in the prisons and the jails. And all you do is talk about love. What's wrong with you? I'm a Christian. That's what's good about me because nothing else is. You say, shouldn't it be about? You say, shouldn't it be about? I'll put you in your place, and you'll do what I say, and uh, this is the way it's going to be. And God says, no, this is the way it's going to be. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We'll just keep going through. John thirteen thirty four. a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. John 15, we just go through the gospel. It just keeps reiterating the same thing. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love as no one than this, than to lay down one's life. Lay down my life? Wait a second. Who laid down his life for you and me? Every day. It's a reminder. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. These things I command you that you, these things I, oh yeah, command you that you love one another. John 17, 24, Father, Oh, God, I desire that they also whom you gave me, Jesus said, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's the same love that the Lord asks us to share with others. John 17, 26. And I have declared to them by your name and will declare that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Oh God, would you please, the same love that me and you have, the same beautiful relationship that we have, would you please put that in my people? Would you please, that's, he's praying this. He's about ready to be crucified. He should be, well, if it was me, it's like, well, Lord, preserve me, uh, help me, uh, keep me. And Jesus said, no, uh, I know I'm going to the cross. I know I'm going to suffer. I know I'm going to suffer like no one else has ever suffered on this entire earth. And God, here's one thing that I pray, the love that I've got for you, the love that you have for me, help my people to show it to one another. Next. 
Christ's certain demonstration of love is this, do it as I have loved you. Folks, that's revival. You want to see revival like break out like you've never seen it before? Let's get on our face more than at dinner time, breakfast time, and lunch time. Let's spend time falling in love with God once again, making Jesus the center of our life. Let's beg the Holy Spirit to come and uh, fill us with uh, uh, the power of who he is and give us uh, uh, help as we walk through our daily life. If we want to see revival break out here like never before, it's to show love to one another. It's not to gossip. It's not to backbite. It's not to hurt other people. That is never, ever part of God's plan not for daily life and definitely not for revival, but God says, I need us to love one another. Folks, that's revival. Can we do it? We can with God's help. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, beautifully sung. Isn't that good? A living sacrifice. You say, a, a sacrifice? Yeah, a living one. I don't want to go on the altar and have my, my bloodshed. No, he says, you be a sacrifice while you're living. Can you do that? Father, I pray now in these final moments that you do a marvelous thing this morning. Lord, the folks that are here, I know every single person here this morning, and I know deep down in their hearts these are wonderful, wonderful godly people that want to serve you and love you. They're the ones that got in their car or their truck or whatever this morning and plowed through the snow and made it here this morning. And Father, I pray that you bless them for that. And Lord, I know they want to love you. I know they want to love each other. And Father, it's the same with me. And I have to throw myself on the altar this morning and say, well, God, when somebody says something that pricks my heart a little bit, makes me feel a little uncomfortable, help me just to say, let it go. They mean well. And I love them. And Father, help all of us to look at each other in the exact same way. When something's said that's a little hurtful, when somebody does something that may be very hurtful, Lord, would you send revival in our hearts at that moment? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to convict us? Please. It's a hard thing to say. <laughs> it's a dangerous thing maybe to say, Lord, if I'm doing wrong, would you, would you let me know it? Because, Father, I know you will. Convict us where we're wrong, Lord. Help us to strive. Help us to strive to love one another. Why did you say it so many times? Over and over and over again in the scriptures. Because the old devil says that's the opposite of what I want my what I want God's people to do. I want them to hate each other, tear each other down, rip them apart. God, may you keep Satan's dirty, filthy hands off our people, off this church. And we'll give the praise and the glory. If you're here this morning or you're watching, one final question and we're done. If you died right now, where would you go? Where would you go? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? All the rest of this message means nothing if you don't know Jesus personally. The gospel is simple. We're all sinners. Because we sin, if we got what we deserve, we'd all spend eternity in hell. Romans 6.23, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, died on the cross for 
our sins. He was buried and three days later rose again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It's, uh, we're just getting off Christmas. I've got a free gift for you this morning. Are you ready to take it? Here's the free gift. I can't give it to you, but God wants to give it to you. It's called eternal life. That gift can only be uh, uh, obtained, not by what you do, but what, why Jesus did. And here's what you have to do. If you want to go to heaven when you die, it's time for you to receive that free gift Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are you saved? God's free what? Unmerited gift. That's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Right now, the Lord wants to save you and to give you eternal life. Are you ready to accept that free gift? You've been looking, you've been trying on your own, you've gone to churches, you've read, you've done all these things. You've tried to do your best and you know you're not saved, you know you're not on your way to heaven. Well, let's do it God's way this morning and make it sure. Are you ready to trust in Christ, receive that free gift, his death, burial, and resurrection, which paid for all your sins? If you're ready, would you just receive it right now? You say, how do I do it? Just, uh, just tell the Lord, by faith I'm receiving of that free gift of eternal life. You can tell them right in your own words, just like you're talking to someone else. But I'll be happy to help you. If you I'm going to say a little prayer in a moment. The prayer won't save you, but I'd love to tell the Lord along with you what happened in your heart this morning. Would you like to do that with me? Say, Brother Rich, I would. Well, with your head bowed, and if you're driving, of course, keep them open. Uh, but if you're here this morning or you're watching, um, maybe something simple like this, just pray it out to God what you're doing in your heart right now. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I'm receiving the free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you for that free gift and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, seal the decisions in Jesus' name.